Today, I think uh, we'll be discussing another uh, two very interesting topics. Uh, one is related to wellness uh, trends, and in the second hour, we'll be discussing about Islam Ahmadiyyat. How you know in in, in Islam Ahmadiyyat, the unity is there, and uh, we'll discuss about more into it. But in the first hour, we'll be discussing uh, wellness trends and time to get on board. You know, in recent years, the concept of wellness has evolved beyond mere physical health and fitness. Uh, it compasses a holistic approach to leading a balanced and fulfilling life, encompassing physical, mental, and you know, emotional and even spiritual well-being. As society becomes more health conscious, new trends in wellness are emerging, offering innovative ways to enhance our overall quality of life. Today, we will delve into some of the latest wellness trends and statistics that underscore their significance, highlighting why you know, it, it is essential to get on board with these trends for healthier and more satisfying life. The global wellness market is valued, valued over 5.3 trillion in 2023. In the UK alone, the health and wellness industry is estimated to hit 30.6 billion in 2023. Huge number. So that's in pounds. Yes. 30.6 billion pounds. So five, overall and is a 5.3 trillion, trillion dollars. dollars yes. It's uh, 30.6 billion pounds here in UK. Uh, <clears throat> that's a, you know, that's a, a huge a, amount a of huge money being spent indeed. on that. Yeah, definitely. And the health and, you know, the wellness industry growth rate is 10% uh, and expected to continue at its pace through until 2025. And we see everybody's health conscious, everybody's trying their <clears throat> level best to to become more healthy in all ways. And, you know, workplace wellness has become an increasing focus for organizations around the world. The global corporate wellness market was worth $53.5 billion in 2022, and it's estimated to reach $55.8 billion in 2023. Approximately 75% of large employers and 33% of small companies run wellness programs. So even the companies, they, they have taken the initiative to understand the need of the time and how people are, you know, they, they are more keen uh, to, to become more healthier and, and they are taking care of their uh, health. And that's why we see the industry is growing and so as even the companies and the big employers, they are providing such facilities so they can give them opportunity for their workers to be, uh, to be more healthier. So, you know, the food, food is one of the most important provisions for the survival and health of the human body. And the Islamic system of guidance encourages human beings to consume food that is beneficial for their development and prohibits them from eating food that can be detrimental to their physical, moral, and spiritual health. The Holy Quran states that, and it's a verse from the Holy Quran, um, the translation of which is, O children of Adam, look to your adornment at every time and place of worship and eat and drink but exceed not the bounds. Surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds. That's from chapter 7, verse 32. It basically gives the basic principles which the Holy Quran has advised. To remain healthy, you need to eat and drink 
and it allows us to drink, eat and drink whatever is available provided you do not exceed the limits, do not exceed the bounds. The boundaries have been given by God Almighty as well himself. So those who follow these boundaries, of course, they are more likely to remain healthy and uh, keep the ailments away from them. I understand we have our first guest uh, um, who, who has joined us today. Indeed, yeah. We have uh, Janet Harding with us. Uh, she's a yoga and uh, Pilates instructor for over three decades and founder and owner of Perfect Posture. I welcome her in the show. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you. And thank you for joining thank us today. That's a lovely welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> thank you. Uh, to start off, uh, Janet, can you share a bit about uh, your journey as a yoga and uh, uh, Pilates instructor? How did you get started and what inspired you to pursue this path? Well, it usually comes from the family, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. um, every Sunday morning, my father used to uh, say, oh, let's do some agilities and... Uh, he would, if the weather was good, he'd take us on the common and teach us how to do handstands. I was um, very young at the time, but uh, it instilled an interest in me. And then uh, my guardian angels took me to a school aged 7 to 11, mm -hmm. where the London County Council was experimenting with children this age. And um, they gave us gymnastic equipment to see if young children could be trained to be gymnasts. Um, it was lovely. I was able to stay after school for about three hours practicing. Every night I used to love to do it. And we made videos. Well, they were called spinny films in those days. Mm -hmm. um, and we did demonstrations for um, Luton and now what was the name of the other one? Rose, something like Rose Hill where they were training um, fitness instructors. Um, I then was interested and kept going to keep fit classes and studied yoga with um, Richard Hittleman and uh, with uh, Desmond Dunn, excellent teachers. And I went to America for a year, uh, 1979, and did gymnastics. The teacher of that group became a very good friend. And when I came home, I thought, I really can't be bothered with these um, uh, keep fit health classes where you wafted around and then had a cup of coffee in the middle and got cold. So I started my own classes. One hour, we had pop music and we'd moved to that. And then it's just gone on. I've trained in aerobics. I trained in Pilates, and I took my last qualification last summer, uh, move it or lose it, and that's hmm. to get people up off their chairs and moving around to music, and I'm able to get out all the old disco tunes that we used to dance to in our youth. Amazing. I think interesting journey, isn't it? <laughs> so uh, if we move on, you know, wellness and trends come and go. Uh, what recent trends in yoga and Pilates do you think are here to stay and why? Can I say the ones that I hope to stay? Mm. Um, it's introducing yoga into the schools and introducing children to it. 
Um, especially at the moment when we have children who've been disturbed by the recent pandemic. And yoga has such a holistic approach, um, quietening the mind, helping to focus on the body, helping to understand the body. And I really hope that it continues. The other trend um, is that more men are appreciating the benefits of yoga and putting a concentrated effort into it. Some of the recent trends, oh, you know, like getting people on paddle boards to do yoga or getting them to do acro, acro yoga, that's where acrobatics and yoga meet. That can keep people's interest up. But underlying that, I really hope that the trend for more men to be interested and more children will, is something that continues. Uh, <clears throat> we hope uh, you know things are there. We we do need to take initiatives. Uh, you know, with uh, Janet, with the rise of variable technology and fitness apps we see around us, how can traditional practices uh, like yoga and uh, Pilates integrate uh, with these tools to enhance the overall wellness experience? You know, you've put that in such a good way. You've You've asked that question in such an excellent way because you're talking about the integration and that's where I come from. Um, mm -hmm. we, need, we need to understand that the basic yoga from, you know, 5,000 years ago, as, as written in the, in the Vedic papers, we, we need to understand Joseph Pilates um, as he was in the early last century teaching his uh, method. We need to understand the basics of it and then just interpret it with the, the wearable technology and all these apps that you can get to help you with yoga and Pilates. It's not regulated and people need to be very careful. The other thing I would say to people is Remember what our bodies and minds were designed to do, the type of world that we were to be born into. It wasn't a world with flat pavements, flat roads. It wasn't a world with pollution in the air. And we have to remember what our bodies were designed to do, climbing, foraging, squatting down to light fires. We need to bear that in mind when we're doing these new and exciting versions of really traditional um, ways of exercising. Uh, indeed. Uh, inclusivity is growing concern in fitness. How did you ensure that your classes are accessible and welcoming uh, to, to individuals of all ages, like, you know, body types and abilities? How, yes. how do you ensure that? Very easily. What I do, mm -hmm. my health forms, People always need to fill in a health form before they come to my classes. If there's anything contentious on there, I'll do a home visit with them, mm -hmm. uh, just giving them assessment and help them to guide them to the class, okay, and how to conduct themselves in the class. But my health forms don't have a section where you ask people's age. So I don't ask date of birth, and I certainly don't ask ethnicity. I was shocked. The local authority was doing um, a survey and they got in touch with me and they asked me how many people of different ethnic backgrounds I had in my class. And I said, I'm really sorry, I haven't a clue because people are just people. 
I, I never ask. It's not an issue. Mm-hmm. The other thing I do is um, I encourage people to bring along their mums or their daughters and sons. So I make it, you know, I have got mums and daughters and fathers and sons, husbands and wives in the classes. So I make it inclusive in that way. And uh, another thing I do is run my classes in blocks of six. Mm-hmm. So you sign on for six lessons. Now I make sure each of those six lessons is approaching exercising from a different path. So anyone new then is on the same level as people who have been coming to me for years because they're all tackling something new at once and we build up together. And it, it ends up it, they're pretty inclusive in my classes. In fact, I can say they're yeah. not. I have classes for people in wheelchairs as well, so yeah. you know. Mm, yeah, indeed they are. I think especially when uh, your family is coming together, I think everybody need to get everybody on board. I think especially mothers and the, the other family members, the, the fathers, they have to mm. be there as well. I think it's a very uh, interesting initiative. Uh, finally, you know, what advice would you give to individuals who are interested in exploring yoga and Pelotis for the first time, especially in the you know in the context of embracing new wellness trends? Yes. The first thing I would say is if you can possibly look around your area for a very serious and well-qualified Pilates teacher who has a studio and reformer beds, this indicates a high level of qualification. Um, it's not going to be some, it's got really has got to be someone qualified and get a one-to-one class with them this is a one-off okay because i'm talking about cost here Mm. get a one-to-one assessment because they will do a postural analysis with you so you can start to appreciate which sort of movement will be beneficial for you and which will be detrimental and keep this in your mind when you go forward to choose your form of exercising. But you need the Pilates person to do that. Yoga is not designed. Yoga makes you bodily aware, but not aware of your own body analysis. So you do need that one-to-one to start you off. And then um, when you are choosing a way of doing that, I would recommend books. Uh, you can use a book. You can turn the pages as you wish. The way some of these books are written is really poetic, really beautiful, and really helps you to a high degree. Um, I have books I can recommend if you do want to do it from a book. If you've got it on your phone, the image is very small. The pace is not your, your, it's not always your own pace. And, all the time that you're doing any study or trying to benefit yourself, remember your origins, remember what your body was designed for. And the current wellness trend that is really important is the gut biome. So eating food that is as it was meant to be originally, not manufactured through various man-made processes, wonderful, healthy, original food, give you a good gut biome the messages then come from your digestive system into your mind to make your mind well and your attitude 
really positive. When you have a positive attitude, it has a very beneficial effect on your whole body, on your whole wellness, on your whole life. Uh, indeed, <clears throat> well said, uh, Janet. At last, just wanted to ask you if you would uh, like to share how people can reach you if they want to reach uh, you through your. Is there any website or anything else you would like to share with us, with our uh, listeners? No, I, I just uh, people just um, phone me or go to my email address. I can give you an email address if you would like it. Yeah, you can just say it. So people, hopefully, they are listening. Uh, they probably write it down. If you're happy to give it, otherwise there's no need. Yes, that's fine. Would you would you like me to give it to you now? Yeah, that's fine. It's easeintoyoga at hotmail dot com. So e a s e i n t o y o g a ampersand hotmail com yeah that's right so it's easy into yoga at hotmail.com so no, it's not easy it's, it's ease. ease it's easy okay ease into yoga yeah ease into <laughs> yoga at hotmail.com thank yeah. you very much Janet, yeah. for joining us today it was a pleasure speaking with you and i hope our listeners have benefited from this and i hope uh, they join you with with their families <laughs> <laughs> lovely thank, thank you very you much so once much again for, for joining us have a nice evening thank you you too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Yeah, that was uh, Janet Harding. She's um, a, a yoga and Pilates instructor for over three decades and founder of owner of Perfect Postures. So, very interesting talk. Um, we were talking earlier about you know the guidance that has been given by the Holy Quran in principle to remain healthy is about the diet that you have to be careful that it says that eat and drink but exceed not the <laughs> bounds and um, it's it's a simple but it's a very profound statement of the Holy Quran which ensures the mankind that um, they do not go to the extremes in their choice of dietary needs either. So that's what happens is that people are taken away with some trends. When there is a trend, okay, take you know, don't take this and take this, uh, and they, they do not keep the balance, and that's where we go wrong. If we follow the principle and guidance given by the Holy Quran, we will always be right. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he said that a man does not fill any vessel worse than his stomach. It is sufficient for the son of Adam to eat enough to keep him alive. But if he must do that, then one third for his food, one third for his drink, and one third for his air. Muslims are commanded to balance their food intake of animal and plant sources depending upon their physical needs, environmental obligations, and personal choices. God does not prohibit, prohibit us from making use of any valuable resource. Islam provides guidance for a pure and healthy life. God says in the Holy Quran, He has made unlawful to you only that which dies of itself, and blood, and the flesh of swine, and that on which the name of any other than Allah has been invoked. But he who is driven by necessity, being neither disobedient nor exceeding the limit, it shall be no sin for him. Surely Allah is most forgiving, merciful. That has been taken from chapter 2, verse 173 and 174. 
So the first three categories are prohibited because they are harmful to the body and that which is harmful to the body is harmful to the spirit as well. Indeed, you know, <clears throat> it's amazing verses you have presented uh, from the Holy Quran. Now uh, we'll moving to our next guest who's with us, Mark Field, who is the founder and director of Prof Consulting Group. I welcome him in the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and thank you very much for joining us today. Good afternoon, delighted to get a chance to speak to you again. Yeah, thank you. Um, Mark, uh, I would like to ask uh, to, to start off as we're discussing wellness trends today, why is it important for individuals and businesses to stay updated with the latest wellness trends? Well, I think, I think there's two separate answers to the question there, and that's, that's a great start for the call. But I think from an individual perspective, what we've all realized or been reminded of over recent years is our ability to build resilience and tolerance through a health a healthier lifestyle and a, a different approach to wellness. And I think that's really driven the focus as we uh, as we look at our very fast-paced life where we're constantly working, we're constantly engaging with people about actually how do we take a moment back for ourselves, which is important to disconnect and recharge. So I think from an individual perspective, there's a clear understanding why it's important to us because ultimately it, will, it should contribute to longevity of life. Mm-hmm. I think from a business perspective, I think it's slightly different. I think we're seeing the the growing focus around the environmental and the social and governance agenda now across many businesses. And from a social perspective, making sure that your employees or your team members are treated in a, in a well-focused environment is becoming increasingly unpopular. Sorry, it's becoming increasingly important to attract the right people, retain the right talent within your business, but also to create an environment where they're comfortable and you get maximum return from them. So I think it's it's a general recognition that actually we need to take a moment. We need to be kind to each other. We need to recharge because we're not built on endless energy. And I think the, the mm-hmm. ecosphere around us at the moment is very focused on that, whether it's from an individual perspective or from a business perspective. Yeah. True. Could you highlight a specific wellness trend that you believe has the potential to make a significant impact? I think with, with health and wellness, it means so much to so many people or so many different groups. But I think for me, you know, there's two areas that I'm finding really exciting. If, if we look locally, mm-hmm. as within the UK or Europe, as an example, I think this focus on, on mood foods or indulgent is really interesting. The mood food, because I'm taking time to, to relax and unwind and have, you know, that, that fruit tea or that, that milky-based drink, something there that's just going to take me away from the pressure of every day and just give me 10 minutes just to, to recover, get my thoughts together and go again in the afternoon. So I think that whole focus around mood foods and mood drinks is, is particularly interesting at the moment. But I think it also links into indulgent, that if you're going to spoil yourself, you want it to be really worth the calories, really worth that special moment that gives you a lift because it's been fulfilling as opposed to I ate it, didn't really enjoy it, hasn't done me any good. I've had the sugar hit and back into work or back into the next meeting. So I think there's a, a trend locally around mood food, uh, particularly in the drink space, and I think really indulgent products that when I have that treat, I want it to be small, but I want it to be absolutely hitting all the cues on a quality perspective. But I think as you look internationally, what's really exciting for me is the narrative in the US at the moment around food as a medicine, hmm. where, where food technologists and brand owners and health organizations are now looking at food differently. We've known about nutrition for food for a very long time. But now what they're looking at is the ability to, to use food to help people recover, to help people um, prepare for surgery and to recover from surgery afterwards, or the ability to adapt the diet to suit people's needs as they've come out of 
of treatment or need care. And I, I think for me, that's the next exciting stage. And I think that's exciting because healthcare is a significant cost to many developed countries. And rather than treating people, the ability to prevent illness and disease through a better understanding of food or clearer labeling of food to help consumers make informed choices, even you know things such as reducing obesity, I, I think that's a really exciting space, yeah. And with, with the rapid pace, uh, you know, of technological advancement, how do you see technology influencing the future of wellness trends? I think at, at the moment, technology is, is improving at such an incredible pace. The challenge for me, or, or the opportunity, I believe, is out there is how well consumers understand it and how well consumers embrace it because of what it can deliver for us about our own physical well-being as opposed to that perception that as people using that people are using it to collect data to be able to send me a voucher or to send me a, an insurance policy because I'm not as healthy as I should be so I think it, it's about how is it how does it resonate with the target audience and how is it accepted but you know when you wake up in the morning your iPhone now tells you you know, did you get enough sleep? So, you know, before you start to the day, whether you're in a great mindset, you know, the increasing presence now of watches or smartwatches that tell you, you know, this is your blood glucose level for the day. Be careful what you eat, so on and so forth. There's so much information that's coming now and generally is readily affordable. I think if we embrace technology because it helps us as individuals have a better, healthy lifestyle, I think that's great. But I think, um, a lot really depends on how it's um, how it's launched into the market and how accessible it is, and uh, and that we have trust in the way the information is collected and used. I recently had dinner with a client in in Australia actually, and he had a watch, and mm -hmm. he had a chip in his arm, and he could he could tell if he was eating the wrong food, the impact on his blood glucose level, and he could change what he was ordering from the menu, so that he had the right level of energy for the meetings he had in the afternoon. So the technology is there, it's affordable, it's reachable. I think we just need to uh, have confidence in it and embrace it. Uh, indeed, I think it uh, comes to an education now, the awareness. So what role do education, I would like to ask you, the, what role do education and awareness play uh, in the adoption of wellness trends? Well, I think we're in an environment now that if you don't feel well, the first, first thing you do is go on the internet and sort of do the, the Google doctor, if I can use that expression. So people are used to researching stuff. And we know generally that consumers have a, a really strong appetite for understanding more knowledge about the food they buy and the products that they're sourcing and so forth. So I think there's a void there that can be filled with the right level of education that starts with the young generation, works its way through the middle age, but also takes the elderly population on that journey in a way that we can put the right information to them, keep it very clear on what the benefits are. Start off simple and build trust and build confidence. If we go in with something that's too technical, then I think there's a risk that the level of uptake will be low. But when we talk about certain food types, such as low sugar diets, low salt diets, you know, gluten free as an example, high protein, consumers understand that. And I think there's a great opportunity for us all collectively as a food industry to build on that understanding and now take it to the next stage. So, you know, again, the do wellness trends. Uh, you know, tend to be very based on different uh, demographic cultures or uh, regions? I think, as I said earlier, I think wellness means something different to, mm. to many people. But I think ultimately, you know, what is wellness is about looking after yourself. It's about looking after your family. It's about making sure that you eat a, a healthy and nutritious balanced diet mm. and that you take special moments to, to unwind, reflect and go again. And I, and I think, you know, regardless of 
of where you are in the in the country, where you are in the world, or, or your your culture. That same principle around diet, exercise, relaxing, learn from others is, is a key part of the wellness trend that, that can just be interpreted in different ways to achieve a similar outcome. Yeah. And so at the end, how do you foresee the wellness landscape evolving in the next few years? And what should businesses and individuals be prepared for? So I think if you're a business, if I could start with that one first, I think if you're a business and you're looking to develop a product or a solution into the market, mm-hmm. the ability to link it to something that's health related, I think is a great is a great way to to increase your rate of success. Very recently, I was in an Apple store. They've got a new drinking bottle there that tells you, based on your weight, how much water you should drink a day. And then it tells you how much you've drunk, and it all links into an app on your watch. Mm-hmm. You know, it's another water bottle, but they're delivering that water bottle at a significantly higher price than a normal water bottle mm. because they've put technology around it in a very simple format that helps personalize it and helps you understand, hey, my target's two liters today. Have I drunk enough or do I need to drink more? There's obviously other easier, more cost-effective ways of doing that, but that's a great example of someone developing a technology and a product to fill a need for some of the population. So I think, you know, my advice to any business, as I say to any of our clients, health and wellness is a strategic op- um, this is a strategic objective for many of the retailers uh, in the market now internationally. If you can link your product in to say it's healthier because of, it's better for wellness because of, then your chances of success are better. And I think from a consumer perspective, in an environment where we're seeing lots of things now that claim to improve our health from you know downloading an app on a phone to, um, to different types of food to, to different types of exercise, it's about making sure you trust the advice that you're being given so you choose a solution that is right for you and you've got confidence in and not necessarily be uh, be drifted or, or impacted by a marketing claim that isn't robust. Now, make sure you really trust it. Make sure it really works for you. And if you try it and it feels good, then that's a great sign. Amazing. <clears throat> I hope our listeners have uh, you know benefited from this. Indeed, I have. And I'll look into the <laughs> water bottle here discussed at the end. Uh, thank you very much, Mark, for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And uh, have a nice evening. You're, you're welcome. And if any of your listeners want any more information, please check out our website, www.profcg.com. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. So you were listening to Mark Field, uh, who's the founder and director of Prof Consulting Group. As we were discussing the wellness uh, <clears throat> and the Quranic perspective and what Quran says in regards to this, we'll move back uh, to once again His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmad. May Allah be his helper, has said during his fire sermon delivered on 22nd July 2016, he said, firstly, it is essential for the devotees of life and missionaries to undertake exercise. Secondly, in these Western countries, Unhealthy and junk food is also very common, which must be avoided. These factors must be considered and taken care of. If they are single and live by themselves, they can at least find some time for exercise while living in Mission House and should know techniques of cooking healthy food. I am not only advising the community members, I exercise regularly on the exercise cycle or other machines and Allah the Almighty is enabling him to continue it on a regular basis. As we were discussing before, <clears throat> as Holy Quran says, that you should have appropriate food, which is good for your body. You should not 
exceed the limit. You should not be eating less, as sometimes people do. You know, diets and they do not have a proper protein or you know the things they need or the body need. Or there are some who is taking a lot. The Holy Quran Islam says to always choose the middle path. And on the other side, on the other side, the exercise is very necessary. If you're doing exercise and having a healthy food, indeed you will see good changes within your body as essential. And we should be grateful to God Almighty has given us a life and we have to take care of it. One of the things which you know we do not really are grateful or we do not think that we have to take care of is our life. We do not, you know, we are not grateful that we are healthy. And if we are not like that, we have to understand that is the you know, blessing of God Almighty that uh, God has given us a life and we are healthy and we have to take care of it uh, through exercise and having good feed and take care of yourself. So, again, just looking at the trends, you know, the wellness industry, the health and wellness industry trends. So, where are this sector is going and what are the current trends in the health and wellness industry? Uh, what is said to be the next big thing in the future. So let's discuss some of the emerging health trends for 2023 and beyond. So the, the first thing, of course, is mindfulness and meditation. Mindful and meditation have gained immense popularity in recent times as effective tools for managing stress, improving mental clarity, and enhancing emotional well-being. Some growing major meditation apps include Headspace, Breathe, Insight Timer, and 10% Happier. So these are these are the common um, commonly used uh, apps for the meditation purposes. As a group, the top 10 med meditation apps brought in an estimated 195 million dollars in 2019. So this we are talking about four years back. So you can imagine how much would it be now because it's it's rising very rapidly and it is, you know, people are more interested in using the apps, following it, and this <coughs> trend obviously is going up and up every day. And as we were talking earlier, that, uh, <clears throat> you know, everybody is, is guided, the science, the science is taking people to to a higher levels of taking care of themselves and giving the scientific trends as well. As a Muslims, we are also guided by the principles given by the Holy Quran and the guidance given by the Holy Prophet of Islam, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. And uh, obviously, being a Muslim, we, we have a this, this uh, great advantage that we have the guidance and the principles which have been given, which are also... Um, good for our health, taking care of our, it's our responsibility to take care of our lives because our lives are a trust given to us by God Almighty who is our creator. So that is an obligation upon us that we take care of this life and remain healthy because a healthier believer is more liked by God Almighty than an unhealthy person. I understand we have our next guest now, um, and we'll be speaking to, to him. Um, Indeed, he, yes, we have another guest with us, um, Jean Gedi Gabrick. Uh, hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, he's the founder of World Wellness Weekend. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today. 
Absolutely. I'm French, quite passionate, so I can make a long story very long, but this one I will try to make as short as possible. 22 years ago, I um, decided to become a consultant and trainer in guest experience because I wanted uh, people, guests in hotels, in uh, hot springs, in spas, to feel the best possible, to feel comfortable and to feel welcome. In order to have a great experience for the guest, we must have a great experience for the team. Therefore, for the past 22 years, I have dedicated my life, my, my time, my passion, my resources to raise the bar in guest experience, um, in the treatments, by raising the skills of the team. I've been doing this for a long time, but then I decided that if we do it together, if we decide with thousands of venues, spas, hotels, resorts, fitness clubs, yoga studios, and so on around the world, if we decide to open our doors on the same weekend in September, just before the equinox, when nighttime and daytime is roughly the same, then we can have an impact. This is how the World Wellness Weekend was created uh, seven years ago, especially mm -hmm because the United Nations in 2015 decided to organize a big agenda for 2030 to make the world more uh, sustainable and more equitable. The third objective is good health and well-being for all. And I thought this is something that I wanted to promote. On year one, we had 160 venues participating in France and Belgium, mm -hmm. because I'm French, living in Belgium. This year, we have 6,000 500 venues in 147 countries in the UK and around the world, and of course, a lot in the Middle East. Amazing. And, and many people, you know, are looking to improve uh, their overall well-being. How can individuals identify which wellness trends align best with their professional or you know, the personal goals and needs? You know, wellness is a very, very personal mm. uh, topic. Happiness is very personal, but wellness also is, for a lot of people, related to health and good health. Mm. Physical health, mental health, emotional health, but also social health, uh, social wellness, being together. Togetherness for a lot of people is wellness. So there are lots of trends, and a lot of them have been online, especially since COVID. A lot of our trends are with different um, techniques and modalities with fitness and yoga. There are always some new classes coming up. I think the fundamentals are the five pillars of wellness. To sleep more, to eat better, uh, not more, but to eat better, to eat fresh uh, and decide what you put in your plate and how often you eat because the health, especially with the gut health, is a lot related to what you eat. And what you don't eat, and this is why we've been hearing about so many diets, but also about intermittent fasting, decided to give your digestive tract some rest. Movement is absolutely key, and sometimes people think movement 
is only the sports that you do in a fitness club or in a sports club association, but movement is also connected to your daily movements at home or outside going to work, for instance. Mindfulness, super important. This is the pillar number four, because you can exercise your body as much as you want, but having a quiet mind is super important. So mindfulness is very helpful also, especially to be more resilient. And the five, fifth and final uh, pillar is sense of purpose, to uh, have meaning, more meaning in, in the life. So many people may have richness, may have good health, may have affluence, and then they lack sense of purpose. It is so important mm -hmm. to have a true north. So sleep and immunity, nutrition and uh, sleep and creativity, nutrition and immunity, movement and vitality, mindfulness and serenity, and sense of purpose and solidarity. More than trends, these are the fundamentals. Yeah, indeed. They are very important indeed. Um, you know, moving on, World Wellness Weekend you know, encourages participation from various wellness establishments. How can local communities and uh, you know, businesses get involved in promoting wellness uh, during this event? This is a very important question, and thank you, thank you for raising it. Because when I said that the United Nations uh, had this big agenda for good health and well-being for all, good health and wellness for all, it's not about wellness for all only, it is also wellness by all. I believe if we want to have more wellness in our lives, we can also be a contributor of wellness for others in our community, in our uh, neighborhood, in our building, in our company uh, corporation. So each of us are encouraged not just to be participants, but maybe champions. We talk so much about social media and influencers and how they have 50,000, 100,000 followers. We, you, I, can be the best influence in our lives for our uh, personal life and also for our family. We can show the good example. So there is a website that anyone can go to. It's very easy in short because it gives the wellness map. So it is wellmap.org. The website is in 18 languages, English, of course, but also Arabic if people are more comfortable um, looking and browsing in Arabic. So uh, wellmap.org gives uh, a map with a geolocator to find activities near you and also gives the possibility for venues to still sign up completely free and organize at least one fun and free group activity on September 15, 16 or 17, whenever they want, Friday, Saturday or Sunday. They can organize one activity, which can be a fitness class, a yoga class, a mindfulness class, a cooking class. It can be just walking or biking, any kind of, of activity to involve people to come and join you and do something is more than welcome. If venues or people decide to organize three activities, not just one, but three, then they will receive a badge as a wellness champion of 2023 for being a net generator. We believe that wellness is a renewable energy, and we encourage on September 15, 16, and 17 for anyone to renew their energy with groups, with families, with friends, with colleagues. Wellness is also togetherness. Amazing, amazing. Uh, can you p could you please uh, repeat once again the email you or uh, the website you were saying? Well, of course, yeah, of course. People can find us, of course.
course, if they browse on the internet and if they look for World Wellness Weekend, but okay. the email, the, the, the URL, the website that is easier to find is wellmap, W-E-L-L-M-A-P dot org. Wellmap.org, that's fine. Thank you very much. You know, moving on, uh, we still have some <laughs> questions for you. Um, you know, the people often struggle to maintain consistency. I think it's very important with wellness routine. They try to go and they just, you know, couldn't uh, have consistency in, in their going. What advice do you have for individuals looking to stay motivated and make wellness a long-term lifestyle? It's very human to always want to be mm. the best person of yourself. And it's very human to have wishes, hopes, promises, and sometimes to forget them or to let them go. Usually the, the promises that we make on the beginning of the year to be more healthy, to eat less, to, um, we, they are completely gone by mid-January. The best way for people to keep being uh, active and finding time in their busy lives for themselves is to have a partner, a friend. We call them wellness buddies, someone that you decide to go walk with around the block or in a park, someone that you decide to go to a fitness club or a yoga club or any sports club, uh, someone you decide to cook with, someone who can keep you accountable for the promise you made to yourself. So a lot of times we talk about me, 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 my body, my health, my sleep, me, me, me. But the best way for anyone to have um, a stronger body, a healthier body, a quieter mind, and also a more peaceful heart is to have a friend, someone to go along that wellness journey with, a wellness buddy. Great advice. You know, at the end, um, one of the very important topics regarding mental health, you know, the mental health awareness is gaining prominence. What wellness trends are addressing the mental health and how can individuals incorporate them into their routines? Mental health is such, um, such an important and, and sore topic. It was uh, before covid a lot of people were feeling lonely. Even though they were not alone, they were feeling lonely. Mm. Uh, for COVID, a lot of people were feeling um, very stressed by the need to find a job and to keep it, uh, the need to make more money because everything is getting more expensive. I don't want to go into too bad uh, examples or, or long litany of things that we are anxious about. The thing is, COVID made everything worse. And we talked about one pandemic, the COVID pandemic, but there are other pandemics. Mental health is a pandemic. Diabetes, type 2, uh, with people uh, eating too much uh, or at least not uh, exercising as much as they, as they eat because you can have calories in, but you need to burn calories out. But definitely uh, mental health is a, is a key issue. There are many ways uh, for, for people to go about it. One is to find help, to ask for assistance. Uh, so many times people feel stressed, anxious, uh, with slight signs of uh, anxiety, slight uh, signs of depression, and it can go into much darker and deeper um, signs and, and symptoms. The first thing is to talk about it. I know men usually don't talk about their problems, but mm. we should. I know uh, 
someone did a study, I forgot who and where, but apparently uh, women use at, at, uh, three times more words in one day than men do. Uh, but sometimes women speak about a lot of things, but not about their anxiety and things that are deep. Find someone you can confide in. Maybe that wellness buddy, maybe someone in, in your family, maybe someone in your community that you feel comfortable to go and speak with. Speaking uh, is the first way to put um, troubles, uh, anxiety into words. Words can help carve a solution. But so many times, uh, people uh, who are in a slight or moderate uh, state of depression think, oh, all I need is a plan. All I need is to do a to-do list to be better. We need more to-be list than to-do list. Your to-do list will always be endless. Your to-be list needs to start today, or at least for the World Wellness Weekend on September 15, 16, and 17. We need to find ways to reconnect with ourselves, to find and write on paper what we want, what we hope for, what we wish for, maybe what we pray for, and things we can bring into our lives by also helping others. We can hope for things to come into our lives, and we can also be a generator for things to come into the lives of the people around us. A lot of people who are going through tough times are also finding relief in helping others in the tougher times that they have. Many things can be done. I hope these few examples are also answering your question. Uh, thank you very much indeed, and I hope our listeners have benefited from your talk. Uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you, and thank you very much uh, for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you for your invitation. Thank Wishing you very you a much. Great day. Same to Bye. you. Bye. Bye. So that was uh, Dean G. D. Gabriek. He's, uh, he's a Frenchman. He's uh, speaking about the uh, wellness week, World Wellness Weekend. He's the founder <coughs> of that, and uh, of course, there's so many benefits associated with it. And he has been speaking in quite quite a bit of details about uh, the wellness and uh, how an individual, as well as the business, businesses, communities can benefit out of uh, uh, you know getting together and do the things together because th that is more likely to be sustained and one can be more consistent if, <clears throat> even if you have a friend who can accompany you to the gym and um, it is always helpful because otherwise you you lose your pace and you you stop at some stage and then uh, to take a restart it takes a long time indeed and you know we were discussing about the meditation one of the thing i would like to share here is this Salat. And Salat is one of the very important aspects to have a peace within your body. The Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, remarked that my highest delight and satisfaction has been granted to me through my Salat. So the discipline that the daily prayers instill is an, you know, an invaluable character trait that can help the regulate other aspects of the life as well. You know, <clears throat> there are so many things can be said, there's so many aspects can be presented of uh, Islam that how one can be healthy. Of course, there are means which we have discussed through the callers and we discussed the Islamic point of view as well where, you know, we understand how and what Islam says to re remain, uh, you know, uh, healthier. And one of the things I've mentioned at the end is the prayer to connect yourself with God Almighty, have a peace within your body and, you know, do as God Almighty says, that have a good food and, you know, you should be doing physical exercises and remain healthy. So please join us back after the news break. We'll discuss another topic in the next hour. Allah. Allah.
You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessing Allah be upon you all. And welcome once again here in Dive Time Show. You're listening to Anika Rahman and I have joined by Dr. Tariq Bajwa who is with me in the studio. Assalamu alaikum. Now uh, we'll be coming back uh, to the uh, topic and discussion. We have already had a discussion in the first hour where we have discussed the wellness trends and uh, the guests were there and they've discussed this topic in depth and uh, explained that how important it is to you know you to have to, to be healthier and what are the ways uh, to become healthier we discussed the islamic point of view where uh, where you know islam tells us how one should be living his life and how they can become healthier now we're going to move uh, to another and i think most important topic which is need of the time to unite the whole world. We'll be discussing the model of Muslim unity. You know, the, 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 this united ummah, you know, must learn from the Jalsa Salana annual convention. And we'll be discussing in depth that how in Islam Ahmadiyyat, the Muslims are united under the Khalif. You know, being despi- despite being 1.8 billion in number, equivalent to roughly a quarter of the world's population, the Muslim Ummah finds itself entangled in a web of disunity. This division spans political, you know, e- economic and religious dimensions, unveiling a tapestry of discord. Muslim people in conflict across the world and, you know, admit internal political and religious disunity. External forces exploit the vulnerabilities of Muslims. Not only targeting the faith of Islam, it revered the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and the Holy Quran, but also subjecting Muslims to persecution. This, the disunity has far-reaching consequences manifesting, for example, in the plight uh, and the suffering of Palestinians and implementation of the Iranian laws targeting Muslims, such as those observed in France, and, you know, distressing actions that aim to hurt the sentiment of Muslims, as exhibited by incidents like the latest Quran burning in Sweden. Muslims often express complaint how, uh, about how others are treating them, yet rarely do they reflect on the consequences that result from their own lack of unity. The challenges faced by Muslims today are directly linked to this disunity, highlighting the pressing need for leadership that unites them. As regards the Palestinian issue, the head, uh, the current head of the Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Masoor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, who is the fifth successor of the promised Messiah on whom be peace. He spoke on the consequences of Muslim disunity and addressing the suffering of Palestinians, he said, we should pray for the Palestinians. May Allah create ease and relief for those oppressed people. May He grant them leaders who fulfill their rights, guide them properly, and free them from the injustices being perpetrated against them. The cruelties they are facing have reached extreme levels, but no one is there to protect or guide them. If only the Muslims of the world would unite, they would be freed from these trials and tribulations. So um, he has given the, first of all, you know, he's for creating peace in the world and make the leaders of the world understand 
and realize the need for getting together and live in harmony with peace with each other. Because as long as there is no peace, no one will benefit. The injustices they create, the um, uh, you know the situation of war, people start fighting with each other, which brings on the economic crisis, and uh, and people start dying, and there are a lot of uh, collateral damage is done because of the wars we have had in the past. And he always reminds, um, and he has traveled worldwide, and he has delivered lectures, and he has written a book. Rather, every um, you know Friday sermon, he's talking about how to turn to God in order to, um, because he, the creator, he has given us a solution that we have to turn to him to find a solution uh, of disharmony in the society and to create peace in the world. Um, recently, uh, you know, we have had incidences where the Holy Quran, which is a holy book of the Muslims, obviously every uh, everyone who, who believes in a holy book he has a lot of respect and honor for that book, and particularly the, the Holy Quran. And uh, as you just uh, listen to the statistics that almost one-fourth of the population of the world is Muslim, and they hold the Holy Quran very dear to them. And, um, you know, in Sweden, recent incidences about the burning of the Holy Quran, um, you know, it has it has been happening. And uh, the current head of the Ahmadi Muslim community, the, commenting on that, he said that in Sweden and other countries, people have been given completely free reign to say whatever they wish, even against Islam, in the name of freedom of expression. Under this pretext, they are cruelly twying with the sentiments of Muslims through vengeful acts that cause deep distress to Muslims. Their actions are cruel and aberrant, whereby they defile the Holy Quran or use vulgar words about the Holy Prophet, Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In this regard, Muslim governments are also to blame for the dire situation that Muslims find themselves in because it is their disunity which has allowed the anti-Islam powers to act in these wild ways. If the Muslims have taken a stand or reacted to the Quran burning, it will only be a temporary reaction that will have no lasting impact. Therefore, we must pray fervently for the Muslim leaders and the Ummah. There is a dire need for prayers. So that's what the the head of the Ahmadi Muslim community gave this statement regarding this incident which uh, happened. So this self-reflection on the consequences of disunity that Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmad, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah on whom be peace has stressed on so many occasions must be at the forefront of every Muslim's mind. When will the suffering of Muslims come to an end? How many nations will continue to exploit the disunity among Muslims? How many more instances of defamation against the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, will be tolerated due to this lack of unity? The answers lie not in rebelling or causing chaos, but rather in finding a leader who can unite the whole Muslim ummah. The Muslim world does not need to look far to find this unity and leadership. 
It has been in plain sight for well over a century. However, the Muslim clerics blind their followers from, from seeing it. The Ahmadiyya Khilafat, the caliphate of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, has been uniting Muslims for, from every corner of the world through which Ahmadi Muslims are guided spiritually, religiously, and intellectually. They have a beacon of light to follow, a light that Allah himself has ignited. As regards the Ahmadiyya Caliphate, it is a direct manifestation of the saying of Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon, upon him, that Sahih al-Bukhari, that's a book of Hadith, a book of traditions, um, is is record. It has been recorded, and it translates as "Hold fast to the Jamaat of Muslims and their Imam." Out of the whole Muslim Ummah, the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat stands apart, united under a single spiritual leader, by steadfastly following the Khalifa of the time. Ahmadi Muslims flourish spiritually, religiously, and intellectually. Their remarkable unity serves as an inspiring spectacle for the entire Muslim Ummah. Jalsa Salana is an event which is held annually and, um, you know, it's the annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat. It serves as a spiritual experience for Ahmadiyya Muslims and a chance to enhance their sense of belonging to the Creator and among the members of the Jamaat. However, Ahmadis are not the only ones who can benefit from this um, uh, occasion. Our guests can also witness such faith-inspiring incidents at this particular occasion. Uh, indeed. <clears throat> Dr. Taibaja, now we have uh, our first guest with us, uh, Imam Rizwan Khan. He's a missionary of Ahmadiyya Muslim Association USA. I welcome him in the show. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and thank you very much for joining us today. Zakmullah for joining. Um, Imam Rizwan, to start off with the first question. You know, Islam is the second largest religion in the world, but despite uh, these three, it, this there seems to be so many issues within Muslim sects. Could you please explain to our listener why is that? I think we have to go back to you know our history and see where this division started and has it really always been there. Hmm. And when we look at the history of early Islam in the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, and not only his time, but afterwards during Khilafat al-Rashidah, that sectarianism, that division simply wasn't there. It's because as long as there was unified leadership, and particularly leadership that was guided by Allah Almighty, and any time differences arose, then those differences where you know, there was room for a difference of opinion, you know, which has always existed in Islam, there it existed in a very civil way where different companions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, had their own opinion and disagreements on things, and they all um, you know, were um, amicable in their disagreements. But those points that were of more fundamental importance, those were resolved by a singular leader, and then everyone followed that. Even those who reserved the right to disagree, they would still in practice follow what the Khalifa had said out of a respect for that unity. So... This is the unity that has existed in the Muslim Ummah in the past, even after the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him. And the divisions that have come, they started after Khilafat, uh, Khilafat and the Ummah unfortunately went away, when people started rebelling against that Khilafat. From that time up until now, that sectarianism, that division, 
it has gotten worse and worse. And those points that the companions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, would amicably, amicably disagree on, they would agree to disagree on. Those things over the centuries and even today are things that unfortunately people will even become violent over and start killing over. So the reason for the disunity in the ummah is because of that absence of leadership and that particularly absence of khilafat, which was a time when small disagreements existed, but unity still existed and the Muslim ummah was one. Uh, indeed, Imam Rizwan. You know, uh, fear of Islam has also increased uh, with you know, the many uh, countries bending hands, headscarves, and some countries Quran is burned. How should a Muslim uh, respond to uh, respond to that? No, it is interesting that people find Islam to be so threatening, even when Muslims are a very weak minority in that country. And I think that says something positive about the faith that Muslims have in their religion. Now, the thing is that, as you know, we just talked about, the Muslim Ummah does have great issues. There is great division. But one thing that even outsiders appreciate and have to respect about Muslims is that when a person is a Muslim, then they stand by their faith. They don't show weakness in that regard. So this is not something that we see, for example, in Christianity in the West, that Christians make so many compromises on the fundamentals of their religions that you don't see people having bad regard for their principles and standing by them as you see among Muslims. Interestingly, with Muslims, you see whether it's you know in Europe, in France, you see a very weak minority Muslim population being targeted and saying that you can't wear the hijab, you can't do things, and you know even going against their own principles of freedom of expression. And then all the way across the world in India, there also you see a weak minority population of Muslims being targeted in almost the same way that they're prevented from following their religion, from wearing the hijab, from you know those basic human rights that each person has. So one of the reasons for this is that people recognize that Muslims, or when a person accepts Islam, then they stand by their identity. They can't be bent. They can't be um, you know forced to go along with different things, um, and, and they have that strong identity. So this is one of the reasons for that persecution. And the way to overcome this is, again, it comes back to unity. You know, when people are united under one singular leadership, then even as a small minority, people respect that group of people. So if the Muslims in France or in India or in any of these different parts of the world where they're being persecuted in this way, if they were able to unite under a single leadership, then their rights would definitely be preserved more. And we see this in every part of the world, even here in the United States, when the black American population was being persecuted. When that population began being united under a leadership, then they started making a great deal of progress that hadn't happened before. So singular leadership is very important. But then when that leadership, that principle is combined with God-given leadership in Khilafat, then there is no matching it. So this is definitely the solution for Muslims facing difficulties in these parts of the world. Indeed. <clears throat> Imam Rizwan, if we go back to the history, we find that uh, the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace be upon him, have prophesied about the events which are uh, you know, going to happen. So did the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, predict you know, how events will unfold after him? And did he guide the Muslims towards the correct solution? Yes. You know, in, in, you know, in the very authentic books of a hadith like Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, mm -hmm. the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, gave a parallel that's very easy for everyone to understand. And he explained that in the same way 
that the people of Bani Israel, the children of Israel, became misguided over time, despite the fact that they had the Torah. They had a book from Allah Almighty. And they had prophets who were sent again and again to revive them. But still, they became misguided to a point where their scholars were the worst people among them. So also, he explained that the same thing would happen in the Muslim Ummah. To the extent that if there was someone in the children of Israel who had done a very specific sin, someone in his Ummah would do the same thing. That's the extent to the parallel. He said that it would be like two shoes of the same pair. Hmm. So the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, explained very specifically and in detail how the Muslim Ummah would be misguided. One of the companions also asked that, you know, how can we become misguided if we have the Qur'an, we have the Book of Allah with us? And the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, said that didn't the Jews and the Christians get misguided before? So this misguidance has been prophesied, but also those parallels are there in that, in the same way that a Messiah came in the children of Israel for a great revival among their people. So also the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, had prophesied in the same way that when that same misguidance came among the Muslims, the Messiah would come among the Muslims for a great revival. Uh, then Imam, could you please explain further how did the advent of Messiah, you know, uh, will happen and how, you know, they will save or unite once again the Muslim Ummah? You know, there definitely we have to look at the parallels of history because, mm -hmm. you know, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, himself so. told us to look at that parallel. You know, the thing is that when the Messiah came in Bani Israel and the children of Israel, what they were expecting was that a king would come who would distribute wealth. Mm -hmm. A person would come who would destroy the Roman Empire or all the people who had been persecuting them in the past and would give them kingship and sovereignty in the world. But the reality was that a Messiah came contrary to those materialistic expectations that they had. And that Messiah brought a spiritual revolution that didn't happen by handouts of people being handed titles and wealth, but it happened through centuries of sacrifice. And that spiritual revival and that true teaching eventually prevailed. So this is the same thing with the Messiah of this Ummah. And it's also an exact parallel in the misguided expectations that people have as well. You know, the materialistic expectations that the children of Israel had, which became the reason for their rejecting their Messiah, that same parallel has happened, in the, and it was inevitable that it happened in this Ummah, that in this day and age, Muslims have unfortunately become materialistic, and that materialism is reflected in their expectations of who the Messiah would be. But that Messiah, just like in the, in the past, would come and has come to establish a spiritual movement that would require sacrifice, and that would bring a spiritual revival and a beautiful teaching that would prevail in the world over a period of time, over a period of centuries, through sacrifice and through diligent um, preaching of that message. So, <clears throat> you know, if we discuss the promised Messiah, uh, particularly him as the advent was prophesied by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, could you please tell our listeners uh, about the Messiah of today, our time, and, and you know, and if you can please touch that, how did the promised Messiah uh, fulfill the role of Mahdi and Hakam and Adal? Yes, so you know, Mahdi, you know, the word, it means one who is guided by Allah Almighty. Mm. And Hakam is the one who gives decisions, who gives the decisive decisions. So this is exactly what the Ummah needs right now. Mm. Now the thing is that a revival never happens in a religious community because a committee of scholars have gathered or people decide that now we're going to make a change and reform ourselves and go in the opposite direction. So the thing is that when people, when misguidance and darkness prevails, then in the past it has always happened that the only way 
the things were turned around was through a prophet of God coming. So this happened in Bani Israel as well. That the spiritual revolution that happened in Bani Israel didn't happen because in a time of darkness, all the misguided rabbis got together and said that now we're going to come together and form a great committee and then we're going to tell you what the right interpretation is. We're going to give fatwas. No, it never happens. The reality is that it is someone who comes from God, who is guided by God, who then it is revealed to him what is the correct interpretation, what is the true Islam, what is the true message. And then he gives that verdict. And it doesn't matter to him how many people support him, who is on his side, what legitimacy people have in his eyes. He's always a humble person. So this is the same thing with the Mahdi and the Hakam and Adil of this age, the promised Messiah, that in the same way that the first Messiah came and he gave his verdict and his judgment, he said that this is the true teachings of the Torah. This is, the tr- this is where true spirituality lies. And then eventually people had to accept him. It wasn't in his lifetime, but eventually those judgments that he gave, that true guidance that he brought to the world, it was so filled with truth and beauty that falsehood couldn't stand in front of it. So this is the same role that the Messiah of the latter days has fulfilled. That the Ummah, it can only be brought together by a Mahdi, someone who is guided by God Almighty, someone who receives diet from God Almighty, and also someone who gives decisions, you know, a jurist, a hakam, who says that this is the decision of God and this is the correct decision. So this role was fulfilled by the Imam Mahdi and the Hakam and Adil of our time, the promised Messiah, peace be on him, in that he established the true and correct interpretation of Islam. And one way or another, Muslims are having to slowly um, accept it as well. 100 years later, we can see that the mainstream beliefs of Muslims today have shifted from what was mainstream 100 years ago. And they've all shifted in a way that is coming in accordance with what the promised Messiah, peace be on him, taught at that time. Uh, indeed, you know, Imam Rizal, moving on from here, indeed, some of listeners are, you know, there are some Ahmadis who are listening to the show. There must be some, those are non-Ahmadis. For non-Ahmadi, you know, the Muslims, <clears throat> often they say that there's no prophet can come after Muhammad, peace and Allah be upon him. How does, you know, that contradict the true Islamic teachings? No, the... A lot of the discussion on this has turned into a misunderstanding of mm. what Ahmadi Muslims actually believe. And it's try- and people try to turn it into a black and white debate of you either believe the last prophet or not. Whereas the reality is much more nuanced than that. The thing is that Ahmadi Muslims believe that the Prophet Muhammad peace be on him is the last prophet and that there is no prophet after him. But mm-hmm. the question is that what is meant by these statements? But the thing is that it's not about my interpretation or someone else's interpretation. We have to see... How did the Prophet Muhammad peace be on him use these terminologies himself? And when it comes to the last Prophet, Ahmadi Muslims agree that he is the last Prophet. But when the Prophet Muhammad peace be on him used this terminology, he said that inni akhirul anbiya wa inna masjid akhirul masajid. This is in Sahih Muslim. He said, I am the last Prophet and my masjid is the last of the masajid. So when he understood this term in a more metaphorical way, not in an absolute literal way, so then we as Ahmadi Muslims are only following his interpretation. And the same thing of La Nabi Abadi, there is no prophet after me. We accept that there is no prophet after him. But how did he use this expression in other situations? Well, we find also in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim that he said that when the Caesar of Rome is destroyed, there will be no Caesar after him. Now, Muslim historians, everybody accepts that there were Caesars after that particular Caesar. But everyone understands this hadith to mean that there was nobody as great as that Caesar. 
after him. That once this Caesar has opposed Islam, then the glory of this office will not be equal and it will decline afterwards. In the same way, he said, that when the Persian emperor is destroyed, then there will be no Persian emperor after him. And Muslims also agree that the correct interpretation of this hadith is not an absolute literal one, but it is a metaphorical one. So when we as Ahmadi Muslims say that La Nabi Abadi, that no prophet after me, has a meaning which has a nuance to it, has a metaphor to it. It's not something that we made up on our own, but it is perfectly in line with the way in which the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, himself used these expressions. And there also we have to remember that no matter how much a non-Ahmadi Muslim insists that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, is the last prophet, there is no prophet after him. At the end of the day, those same non-Ahmadi Muslims still make an exception for one prophet. They say that Isa will come and he will be a Nabiullah because it's written in Sahih Muslim that Isa will come in the latter days and he will be a Nabiullah. So no matter how much a non-Ahmadi Muslim wants to make it into a black and white, either you believe in this or no, they still make one exception. They still say that, okay, but there is one point of nuance, that there is a prophet and he does come after the prophet Muhammad in a sense, and you have to understand and interpret it in this way. So the Ahmadiyya Muslim perspective is not something that is novel. It is not something fundamentally different. It all just comes down to a difference of interpretation of what the Prophet Muhammad peace be on him said. We all agree on what he said. And our interpretation is based on the way in which the Prophet Muhammad peace be on him used these same expressions in different situations. Uh, indeed, um, Imam Rizwan. Uh, one of the things you mentioned earlier, and that's what the you know the, the purpose was for Prophet Messiah to come and unite Muslim Ummah once again. How does Ahmadiyya Muslim community, you know, they try to unite Muslims and bring peace? Yes. So, you know, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the way in which we seek to unite Muslims is the only way that that unity can happen, which is through God-given leadership. Uh, the, the, the way in which any people have been united before is by bringing forward this claim and putting forward a person saying that this is someone who has been appointed by God. Otherwise, there's no way people can be united. You know, in the history of the Ummah, people have again and again tried to say that we should accept this Khalifa this person of the Turkish Empire, or this person who happens to live in Mecca and Medina. But the thing is that all of those claims were just based on, um, there was no divine authority. It was just a statement that, okay, this person has respect in the world, so we should be united under this person. So the thing is that that is bound to fail. It never happens. The entire Muslim Ummah can only be united by God Almighty. And so this is what the Ummah needs. And this is what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community offers. There is no other sector or no other people that can offer this, that the Messiah and Mahdi has come in fulfillment of the prophecies of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, and he has left behind a community, a united community under a khilafat that has been raised. So this is what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community offers, and this throughout history is the only way that people have been united. This happened in Bani Israel, and this happened um, afterwards, and this happened before as well. So the solution that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community gives is the solution that comes from God Almighty, and that is the only solution that can work. Uh, indeed, there's no doubt in it. Um, at the end, I would like to ask you, as we have just finished one Jalsa, and there's another huge big Jalsa is coming up, and the convention is coming up in Germany. How, if you can just explain, you know, how does Jalsa Salana, the annual convention, and Ahmadiyya Khalifat showcase the unity in the community? Hmm. So, you know, the, in Islam, the greatest showcase of unity happens at Hajj, you know, at the, at the pilgrimage. 
But there also there is a difference between the pilgrimage that happens on any other year and the pilgrimage that happened where the Prophet Muhammad peace be on him attended that pilgrimage. Because that was one, and also the ones where Khulafai Rashidun attended. There's a different unity where there's a singular leadership. So Hajj is that basic institution where all Muslims come together and are united. But after Hajj, there are also other gatherings like Eid and other things like that. And then we see during Khilafat, after the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, there were different institutions that were established that were in the spirit of the things the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, established. You know, for example, Hazrat Umar, who established Baytul Ma'al, the treasury. He established the Tarabi prayer, which was in line or in the spirit of what the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, had taught. So the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the promised Messiah, as a Khalifa of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, on divine authority, has established the Jalsa Salana, which of course is not equal to the Hajj that happens, but it is an institution which is in line with the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him, of having gatherings where people are united and where religious advice is given. And here, you know, you'll see that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has these gatherings where people from all over the world gather. And they give allegiance at the hand of a single Khalifa, a, a, a bayat, which is according to the traditions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be on him. And they are given advice and guided on one direction, from one singular voice. And people from all countries and all backgrounds and even religious backgrounds come together and have accepted Ahmadiyyat. And it is a visual showcase and a visual um, sight, and, a, and, and, a, and, a, and we're able to see firsthand how it is through Jalsa Salana that Ahmadi Muslims are united on one hand, and how the Ummah can follow in these footsteps, and how the Ummah can create a revolution by being united in the same way if they accept the Khalifa and if they come under the community of the Promised Messiah and Mahdi. Uh, indeed, thank you very much, Imam Rizwan. Very, very well explained. I hope our listeners have uh, you know benefited from this and have understood the true understanding what uh, you know the MD Muslim Association, MD community believes about the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, and how you know the community is uniting all the Muslims uh, under the you know under Khalif. And thank you very much for joining us today and you know giving us insight. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Zakmullah for joining us today. So you were listening uh, to Imam uh, Rizwan Khan. He was joining us from USA. He's a missionary there, and he has explained in depth that what you know, kind of what importance is there for unity, and how you know uh, unity is very important for Muslim Ummah especially <clears throat> to overcome all the difficulties uh, they are fast facing uh, in, in in the world nowadays. And the only way to come out the come out this is, is to unite once again and that can only happen as the holy prophet peace be upon him mentioned that there will be a messiah there will be a mahdi there will be a person who will revive islam once again and there will be a caliphate afterwards who will unite muslim ummah and that's what we see in the community that's what we see you know how everybody is connected with the caliphate and how you know the caliphate is taking everybody along with him and you know telling them and showing them a path that how they can you know be protected from all the evils around the world and how can they be peaceful how what they should be doing what they should not be doing and how we should live with love and harmony within the society and explaining on every platform that what islam means because islam means peace and he is going door to door you know on different platforms to explain them that islam is a religion of peace and the muslims uh, you know they are people who love 
others and you know there's no need to get scared from Islam and on the other side he's uniting and people are joining the community day by day every year is increasing because people see the truth people understand that this is the only way that we can you know, our Muslim Ummah can unite and the Khalifat indeed he has one goal to unite Muslim Ummah and unite them with God Almighty he is the rope of Allah the Almighty within us and we have to hold it firmly so we can you know be connected with God Almighty that we have a strong bond with God Almighty because he is a man of God within us and he is the only person who can unite once again as he was prophesied <coughs> by the Holy Prophet Peace be upon him. He said there will be a jama'ah, there will be a community who will, you know, uh, connect everybody, who will be, you know, uh, a source of unity. Now we're going to listen one of the audio clip where the topic is to one community, one leader. We're listening to it and uh, we'll be listening to it and then we'll, uh, you know, coming back and uh, taking this topic further. Please do listen to it and please join us back. <laughs> Azrat Mirza Majroor Ahmed is the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the most dynamic international community within Islam. The community was established by Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmed in Kardian, a small and remote village in India. He claimed to be the expected reformer of the latter days, the one awaited by all major world religions. Founded in 1889, the community has continued to spread throughout the world, flourishing under caliphate, the system of spiritual leadership established after the demise of the holy founder. The current successor of this movement, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, continues the work of the holy founder to revive the spiritual and moral state of mankind. The movement embodies the benevolent message of Islam and its pristine purity, a movement that preaches peace, universal brotherhood, and submission to the will of God. Ahmadi Muslims have earned the distinction and reputation of being a law-abiding and peaceful community. Within a century, the movement has reached all the corners of the earth and has been recognized and praised by the global community. Your faith is dedicated to serving the society that you live in, and from what I've seen, heard, and, and, and experienced from mainstream charities, schools, and churches, your faith and community have contributed in significant ways. I have personally experienced and heard that you have raised tens of thousands of pounds uh, on sponsored walks for children, older people and people with disabilities. You have dedicated yourselves to charitable social projects and most significantly of all, you have not distinguished between faiths, ethnicities or communities. <laughs> The community's many social projects aimed at helping those in need bears testimony to humanitarian concerns in respect of all human beings, regardless of race, color, or creed. The Armidian community have an extraordinary reputation abroad for charitable work in Africa, India, Bosnia, and Indonesia, amongst other places. But your note, your community here too have an extraordinary reputation. You have been generous with your time and resources, and you have made yourselves part of the wider community. The Ahmadiyya community has always been at the forefront 
not only of helping their own, but actually helping within society as a whole, is one of the reasons why, if I may say to you, your presence in this country has been so beneficial to us. In the past hundred years, you have given so much to the society in the United Kingdom and to societies everywhere globally. You are among those who give and who not only take. You give so much to so many societies that I have seen and felt and listened to and watched. Ahmadis are also renowned for working to serve the greater good through social health and educational initiatives as well as mosque projects. Your own work, Your Holiness, particularly in West Africa, is well known. And we heard just now about your attempts to bring water and energy supplies to some of the poorest communities in West Africa. Together, we should fight common enemies such as illiteracy, disease, hunger, and poverty. The Ahmadiyya mission has put structures in place towards the fight against these common enemies in order to enhance the dignity of man. The mission has been a vanguard and a partner in collaborating with government in the areas of education, health, agriculture, and human animation. The Ahmadiyya community mission in Sierra Leone, really they've made a pivotal contribution uh, to the education in our country. You just have to look around wherever you are. And I have to say, Your Holiness, that I was touched by the way in which your predecessor as spiritual leader instructed your community, the Amadei community, to befriend and look after those suffering as a result of the Bosnian conflict. And I was very impressed by that. Everywhere that mankind suffers, your members have been active in bringing help and saving lives and limbs. The community was created under divine guidance with the objective to rejuvenate Islamic moral and spiritual values. It encourages interfaith dialogue, diligently defending Islam and attempting to correct misunderstandings about the religion in the West. I very much welcome this opportunity of paying tribute to the wonderful work which has been done by the Ahmadiyya community towards the objective which we're seeking to promote this evening of achieving peace through understanding and tolerance. The Ahmadiyya community are doing a tremendous job in building bridges between the different communities in our country, between different ethnic, linguistic uh, and religious groups up and down the country. And I also know that they have a wonderful record in other parts of the world. I'd like to start by saying just how important the work of the Ahmadiyya community is. It deepens others' understanding of your own faith and it gives a voice to those who are marginalised in their own societies. Now, what has so impressed me as I have come to understand more about uh, the Ahmadiyya faith is your remarkable commitment to interfaith dialogue your commitment to the principle of non-compulsion in religion and your commitment to peace and tolerance. You 
the Amadis stand as a beacon in your strong belief that we must find the answers to these debates through open, thoughtful, and gentle discussion. And you are also a beacon because you show us that we must find the answers to these debates through practical action. The Ahmadiyya Mission is one religious organization in Ghana which has demonstrated ample tolerance in terms of its preparedness to cooperate with all other religious bodies, Muslim and Christian alike. How good you have been to our community, the community that you found here. Today you reflect so many professions, so many different walks of life. You uphold all the virtues and the vigorous ethics that uh, your faith has given you from birth. At this pivotal point in international relations, many questions and concerns have been raised concerning the doctrines of Islam. Most have incorrectly interpreted Islam as endorsing violence and terrorism. The Ahmadiyya community has always demonstrated the spirit of tolerance, goodwill and true brotherhood. It advocates peace, love and understanding among followers of different faiths. It firmly believes in and acts upon Quranic teachings. It strongly rejects violence and terrorism in any form and for any reason. The movement offers a clear presentation of Islamic wisdom, philosophy, morals and spirituality as derived from the Holy Quran and the practice of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. For me as a student of Islam for now almost 30 years, I am constantly amazed by the depth of service that is certainly represented by this community and tradition by the depth of tolerance and the constant searching for what it means to be human. To be of human means to be of service. And I think this is so dramatically represented by the message of this community. Welcome back. And now we're going to listen to A Person Journey to Islam. Jonathan Butterworth will listen to that and we'll be back afterwards. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah So for for me in 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 my life what I did was I said to um it came to a point in my life where I said I need spirituality I need to know about there must be more to life than just working, getting up in the morning, going to work at nine o'clock, coming home at five o'clock, going to bed, waking up the next day and doing the same thing over and over again. There must be more to life than just eating food and taking pleasure from a meal. There must be more to life than drinking a latte and taking pleasure in a latte. And all of these thoughts take you towards spirituality. And when you know spirituality, that is to come to Allah. So, so that was how it started. But then what really, you know, practically for me, what happened was I said to the, the various friends that I had at the time, you know, I believe in, I want to know about God, whether or not God exists. What would you advise me? So I spoke to a Christian, I spoke to a Buddhist, I spoke to a Muslim, I spoke to a, a Hindu a little bit, yeah. and also to an Ahmadi Muslim as well. Right. And they all gave me the same advice. They all said, Allah, we believe in God, we pray, and God answers prayers. So what was very nice is all the different religions essentially gave the same advice. Right. When I did that, then when I prayed, 
then Allah answered my prayers. And I prayed for the first time genuinely from my heart. And Allah says that whenever the supplicant prays to him, then he answers those prayers. And Allah, by the grace of, by the grace of Allah Almighty, then he answered my prayers. And I believed in him for the first time. And from there, I continued those conversations. And I said to the Christian, what do you believe? I said to the Muslim, what do you believe? And to the Hindu, the same. And to the Ahmadi Muslim. And essentially, to believe in Islam Ahmadiyat means you believe in all of Jesus' teachings, all of Krishna's teachings, all of Buddha's teachings, but you have them clarified by the Holy Quran. Right. And then you accept the Prophet or the Imam Mahdi who's been sent by Allah in, in subservience to the Holy Prophet Sallallahu so to, to become an Ahmadi Muslim means that you actually accept everything that all of the others do, but you are the most submissive to Allah because you accept a prophet that has come so recently that to make that decision shows or inshallah it shows to Allah that I'm willing to follow you and not just my culture, not just my society, but I'm willing to accept the one that you've sent in my, in my time, in my generation. Writings of the Promised Messiah, Salam. Then arise and repent and win the pleasure of God through good works. Remember that the punishment of wrong beliefs is after death. Being a Hindu or a Christian or a Muslim will be determined on the Day of Judgment. But a person who goes beyond the limit in wrongdoing, transgression, disobedience and vice is punished in this life. Such a one cannot escape God's chastisement. So hasten to win God's pleasure and before the dreadful day arrives, namely the day of intensity, of the plague of which the prophets have warned, make your peace with God. He is very benevolent. To the one moment of the repentance that melts the heart, he can forgive the sins spread over seventy years. Do not say that repentance is not accepted. Remember that you cannot be saved by your deeds. It is grace that saves and not deeds. Benevolent and merciful Lord, bestow thy grace upon all of us. We are thy servants and have fallen down upon thy threshold. Amen. Welcome back. You were listening to, you know, the journey to Islam of Jalantan Butterworth. Then you heard now how to make peace with God Almighty and indeed the purpose of <clears throat> coming to this world is to have a connection with uh, God Almighty. And if I go back uh, to you know, the, the topic we were discussing about the unity, and I would like to <clears throat> say the one thing that, you know, one of the unique aspects of the, of, the, of, the, of the program or the Jalsa Salana, the convention, uh, where everybody come together, all the Muslim, the Muslim come together and unite themselves. It is, you know, remarkable foundation in 1891 by the, uh, you know, Prophet Ahmad Salam, the promised Messiah and Mahdi, whose arrival was eagerly awaited by believers of diverse faith, highlighting, you know, the Jalsa <coughs> Salana importance. He has written and, you know, told the believers, do not consider the Jalsa to be equivalent to any ordinary worldly gathering. You know, the fact of the matter is that it is founded upon the pure support of truth and the propagation of Islam. The foundation stone of this Jamaat has been laid by Allah the Almighty Himself and nations have been raided that will soon come to join his fold. This is due to the fact that it is the work of the all-powerful God for whom nothing is impossible. And this one <clears throat> interesting thing, the international bath of unity happens 
a one-of-kind event in Jalsa which started 1993, that international bath and initiation ceremony take place in this and people from all background and diverse ethnicities join into this and take part into the initiation ceremony. <clears throat> and we've seen that, you know, they take a initiation on the hand of Khalif and join the Islam Ahmadiyyat. And again, as I've been mentioning in the beginning, people are joining around the world and uniting under one Khalifa. And this is the purpose of Islam Ahmadiyyat, is the purpose of the advent of Messiah and you know, the Khalifat, which, is, which we have and we're blessed with the Khilafat within us and we have accepted it. Now at the end, I would like to thank the producer of today's show, Durasameen Mirza and Safi Zartasht for you know, providing and uh, you know, producing this show. And I would like to thank the technical team working behind the scenes. Until next time, Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullah.